Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome to Adapter's Advantage. I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, and that is Dustin McGill of Comerica Bank. I want to take a moment and read just a little bit about Dustin's background before we jump right in. Dustin joined Comerica in 2012 as a banking center manager and licensed financial specialist for the South Huntington Beach branch in California. He's been in banking and financial services industry since 2001, holding a wide range of positions from financial professional to regional trainer. Currently, he's the Learning and Development Specialist supporting the Customer Contact Center, Retail Support Center, Commercial Banking, and various new technology projects, including Allego. So, Dustin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Very glad to have you here. Let me jump right in with the first question. Given all the things that I just discussed that you actually do, when someone says, oh, I see you work at Comerica, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Yeah, uh, well, I work for the HR corporate learning team, uh, part with the retail revenue side of that. So anything that brings revenue to the, the company. Uh, so my team works directly with that. So again, wealth management, commercial banking, co customer contact center, retail support center. Uh, so pretty much anything along those lines, customer facing. When you think about the work that you're doing right now, especially in this, this time that we're living, um, what drives you? What is it you like most about what you do? Yeah, um, when I was 21, I started banking. And when it came to that, I was just a college kid trying to pay my way through school and didn't know really much what, I think we're all in this, we don't really know what we wanna do. And uh, I started working in banking just because it helped me pay that way. And I, they offered a little bit of money for school. And um, I became a personal banker. And I remember having a client, he was uh, in his late 70s, I wanna say, and he was a Korean War vet. Um, and uh, he wasn't married, didn't have any kids. So one of his highlights were coming and sitting down and have a cup of coffee with me. And uh, he told me some amazing stories about being shot behind enemy lines and surviving with a wounded a gunner that he had with him and then getting rescued by helicopter, like movie stuff. And I just love that time to connect with him. And he would, uh, long story short, he would come in and one of these days we found out he was a victim of a lottery fraud where if you're not familiar with those, he ended up trusting a phone call saying he won the lottery and basically drained his uh, nest mm -hmm. egg. And uh, a little background on this client of mine, he was a, he, his, his parents went through the Great Depression. He was always raised to believe to have a nest egg so you aren't left cold and dying on the streets by yourself. And so needless to say, it was devastating. Uh, once we found out what was going on and informed them that this is a common scheme and um, it, it overwhelmed him. And um, a, a very soon after that, he uh, came to the bank when we were closed uh, went to the ATM and apparently checked his balance, had a massive heart attack and died out front of the, uh, the branch. And it so affected me because it took me out of who I was. And, and I like to explain it this way. Um, you know, we are on a rock in the middle of a vacuum of space. We're spinning a thousand miles an hour. We're flying at the same time, 67,000 miles an hour around an exploding orb of gas. Right. If that's not a miracle enough that we're here together talking like we are, that what are we doing to help others while we're here? And then that realization came to me then. And so that really put a pause on my progression of where I was going 
and it, it allowed me now to focus on helping others. So really, I get a tremendous amount of joy of helping others. So as I became a branch manager, I great joy bringing uh, tellers up to become bankers, bankers to become managers. And then obviously, what better place to help than in retail learning? So uh, it was, that's really what drives me now is, if, you know, I get a, a great bit of joy from helping others, but at the same time, my boss is listening. I am extremely motivated by money. I mean, wheelbarrows full of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really fascinating twist uh, as I think about it, Dustin, because I'm a former financial advisor, as we, yeah. as we talked about, and I also had just such great affection um, for my clients, yes. many of whom were like my grandparents, because I right. was so young in the business. And, right. um, it, and I, I took it really as a special honor that yes. they invited me in. And, and quite frankly, they, the fact that I was young chronologically, they didn't hold that against me either. Right. Right. right? And, and so um, I, I really do get that piece. And then mm -hmm. this ability to, to sort of take what you've learned and in a sense help people recognize that when you're on the front lines in a retail bank, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with people in a wide range of emotions. And yeah. the way that you react to them can truly make a difference in, uh, in their life. Absolutely. I mean, I still have customers to this day that are myself and that I consider friends. You know, they're no longer customers they're from another institution, yet I still made that bond with them and it's, it's, it's nice. So let me pivot to um, next question, which is what do you see as the biggest changes that have happened in wealth management and retail banking industry? And, and how is your organization, Comerica, adapting in this post-COVID era? Right. Uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, look at the past 15 years. I mean, the past 15 years, there was probably more change than in the previous 50 from that. I mean, uh, when I started in 2001, I remember people literally resisting the debit card. Like, to me, that just blows my mind. I mean, we, that's such a staple in our life now. And then we got into to online banking. Oh, and right. then we got this, these smartphones that all of a sudden now I could do everything from there. And I wouldn't even go into a bank if I didn't work with one, you know, especially now with COVID, you know, you could do everything from your pocket. Um, so the amount of change that has happened is, 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 is mind boggling when you think about it. Because back previously, banking was very uh, easy to predict. I mean, you had tellers, you had bankers, you had a branch manager, and you had the guy that sits on the elevated desk who was a wealth guy in the back right. I mean, for years. Right. That's, it's, it's changing. So the idea of people go, walking into the banking center, no longer there. I mean, my first branch manager position uh, was in 2003, and there was 50,000 transactions per month going through that banking center, 50,000. And so needless to say, my goals were simply mine the traffic that came in, have conversation, find out what they need, get them to get to a sales rep. Now, fast forward, I went back there in 2015, right before I moved to Texas, and that same banking center averages about 25 now, so literally half the transactions. Wow. And who knows what that is now? So again, as you look at the, the changes for, for both retail and, and wealth, you're going from a situation where you had traffic coming in, you had people coming to you, Right. And then you can just basically cross-sell, right? Which has kind of become a bad word since uh, Wells Fargo. Uh, but you're able to change things a little bit and, and, um, and offer them something else. Now we don't. So how are we taking that environment and then now getting in front of the customer? How are we switching the roles a little bit? Customers used to come to us. So now how do we do that and go out to them? Uh, so really what it comes down to is what kind of presence are you making? What kind of uh, brand are you creating for yourself? So people see you and Comerica Bank as this something that they want. 
and you know through social media or constant contact or um, gosh finding a way to get in the customer any way you can and especially with the COVID environment like it is it's even more difficult so how are we making that personal impact and connecting with the client and so you know emails LinkedIn Facebook um, Lego, I mean, they have different things that you could use to kind of get out uh, to, in the front now to, to be a presence. So just moving along on that, on that uh, same trajectory, how do you see the sales process changing in this, this new virtual world we're in? Um, yeah, I think that you're dealing with what I just talked about. I think really where you are now having to pivot. So if I go back to uh, my history, I was started at Bank of America, a lot of walk-in business. Uh, transitioned out of that into Prudential where I learned now I had to create a brand for myself. Was recruited to Comerica through a manager that used to manage me at, uh, at Bank of America as a manager and a, uh, a licensed financial specialist. So now I'm sitting in a branch where my previous way of getting business is no longer there. The new way I've learned at Prudential is now kind of what we need to do and how do we combine the both, right? How do we, how do we get to that point? And really, it was a lot of sitting down and saying, Where, where's my target audience? Who do I want to focus on? And for me personally, it was like, I'm going to do a lot of work to get one business. Now, what if I would do that same amount of work into a center of influence who can then refer me that business? So multiple businesses. So rather than work a lot for one widget, if you will, I'm working a lot now to grow a money tree or somebody who's going to constantly be feeding me. So it, it looked more of outside of individual product and more so how what's my biggest impact to bring business back into me you know dustin it's very interesting just uh on so many different levels kind of the parallels because the epiphany that you just described i literally had a very similar epiphany and i recognized when i did an 80 20 analysis of my own book of business that there was this small number of people who had disproportionate impact but the thing that really was a breakthrough for me relates to what you just said. And it wasn't necessarily that I had in, in my practice uh, a few clients that had a lot of money. It was I had a few clients who through their family, through their network, and if I attributed all the people that they referred to me, they were like a monster client in and of themselves. Right. right. And that's a big shift uh, yeah. for people to get their head wrapped around that while, while you want to treat all of your clients well, that there's right. some of these clients who can just have an enormous impact. And of course, you can have an enormous impact on them as well. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. You make me think of the, uh, the Darwin quote, given the theme of this podcast, uh, which is that it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent necessarily. It's the one most adaptable to change. And so, yes. you know, what you just described really is the essence of that. I'm, I'm just curious, has there been any other specific personal or professional challenge that you've had to adapt to? Uh, yeah, uh, personal is easy. Uh, we had our firstborn, uh, and then when he turned two, we were told we're getting twins. And the idea of twins is fantastic, Mark. Let me tell you, you're part of this new secret club. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, there's two, two for the price of one. Yeah. And so we're super excited. Then they come out. And so here's the thing that I've learned. It's like the best way to describe what it's like having, having one, a two-year-old, and then uh, the twins. It's like picture drowning and me coming up to you. Instead of offering my hand, I hand you two children. And so <laughs> you're instantly like, what did I get myself into? Can I even make it? So you're instantly in survival mode. I want to tell you from 2014 when they were born to 2015, I don't remember anything. 
Wow. I, I mean, it was just, it was, one would, one twin would wake up, then the other one would obviously wake up, and then two twins crying, then you have the two-year-old wake up, oh, yeah. and then they all want mommy. They didn't, they weren't daddy babies. Right. So it was just, it was uh, And you zombies. worked during this time, right? And I worked during this time. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell you how, and this is so bad, but when my paternal leave was over, I was like, I get to go to work. I get to go to work. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a funny, challenging time. Now, now it's fantastic, but it was quite literally a shock to our systems. And we had no clue what we're getting into. And, you know, really it is about being agile in those moments and, and being able to, how are you going to adapt? You can't give up. And very similarly with the personal side or the, the, the professional side of things, uh, when I got recruited over to, I alluded earlier to, um, to Comerica, I took over a branch that was number 102 out of 102. Only way to go. Whoa. It came in and I had that moment. I've done, I'm going to have to do something differently. And so reaching out to other people and then obviously reaching out to my mentors, trying to problem solve, getting my team together, saying, hey, what can we do? And then about a year and a half later, believe it or not, our, our high watermark, we got it rolling. And our high watermark over a couple of years was about as number 14 out of 102. Wow. So we did a great job of finding a challenge, being agile through that, and mm. then pivoting to do what we need to do to bring in the business. And it was, it, was, it was a great time because when you have a challenge and you have a great success from it, there's probably very many things that are as rewarding. Um, and we did it the right way. We didn't cheat. We didn't find like sneaky ways to do it. We, we targeted the, the clientele we looked for and, and uh, we did well. You know, Dustin, what's so wonderful, and this is really kudos to the entire Comerica organization, um, the recognition that when you are running training or learning and development, and it doesn't mean everyone has to do this, but to have somebody like you who's been involved in that kind of frontline sales right. arena, right so that there's a litmus test around the kind of training that's coming and, and recognizing that like, that's not going to work. That thing you just, right. put, that's not going to yep. work with the sales. Yeah. Team. I can tell you right now. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. I, I love the fact that, um, you know, your promotions continued after that, but there was this recognition that if, if you can go from 104 to, to 14, there's something that you're doing right. that's making a difference. Right. And you know, I, I, I'm sure you've seen this in your previous roles. If you're ever in a sales role, uh, you've seen leadership push down something and you're, you know, you're sitting down in your role. You're like, why are they doing this? This is obviously a pencil pusher, right? Never been in the role. And they're creating stuff that you, you know, in the real life, it's not going to work. It sounds pretty on paper, uh, but you're absolutely right. So that's a great segue to the question. What have you learned about sharing best practices and learned experiences from top performers at Comerica in terms of how you should capture them and share them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I told you when I first came on board, I mean, Comerica was foreign to me. I've heard the name because I was a baseball fan and I knew Tigers were Comerica Park. But in California, Comerica really didn't have a name for itself, which actually is a blessing in disguise because with Bank of America, they hated you or loved you. There was really no in-between. Comerica was like, oh, tell me more. So nobody really hated Comerica. Uh, and because we are a very conservative bank and we've been around since 1849, so there's a lot of history there. And... Um, when I got on board, I reached out to everybody that was, and I looked at my leaderboard, who's number one, who's doing it right. Rather than come in and try to figure it out on your own, could you imagine if you could raise your base a little bit? So instead of starting here, you're starting here. So if you're, you're 
trajectory is this way, you're at a higher point, you're going to get higher faster. So we, I, I, I went and I, anybody who would let me listen or anybody who would talk to me for that matter, mm-hmm. I, I would, you know, buy them coffee and, you know, tell me what you know, what, what are your best successes? And you would pick and choose what works with your own personality. And so that's literally how we built what we did, where, where I said we started at the bottom and we took the best of everyone. And every banker that I brought on, every teller that I brought on, I said, look at the list. Who's doing it well? Contact them. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to carry and heavy lift it and recreate the wheel by yourself. Get the wheel and then try to make it better, maybe. I love that, Dustin. And, you know, you think about this notion of standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think what I marvel at is how many people resist it and yeah. typically say, no, no, I don't want help from anybody. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be a lone wolf instead of right. realizing that in the modern era, that's crazy. Yes. I, this, this whole idea of team selling is absolutely the way to go. Right. And then what's so wonderful is that you obviously had a culture where people were willing to share. Yes. One of the things I found uh, in my role at Allego is that there were many top performers who said to me, when, when I was the one going to them saying, would you do this recording for me so that we could share it with the rest of the team? They said, I am more than happy to share the information. Here's the truth. I don't want to give the same presentation 50 times to 50 new hires. So mm-hmm. if you record this and you share it and they mm-hmm. can all watch it, I don't mm-hmm. even mind answering their questions mm-hmm. in the comments. I just don't want right. to have 50 meetings, 50 coffees, or 50 right. phone calls. Right, right. That makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this brings me to this idea of remarkable customer service, because this is something mm-hmm. we talked about uh, prior to this podcast. And I'm curious, what has been your experience about helping the team provide remarkable customer service when people aren't coming into the branch. Yeah. Um, and that is, that's, that's the $50 million question, right? So how do you figure out how to make a personal impact on somebody without having a personal connection or, or touch point, especially in the COVID environment? Uh, and I think where that is now moving to is social media, LinkedIn, uh, even now on Facebook, I don't know if you're there, but I have friends that are now very advertising what they do. They, they say, you know, here's a, but it's not very much in your face and flaunting it. It's sharing articles and it's being that, being that presence to, of offering assistance and going back to creating that brand where if you get to the point where somebody has a, a need, they want to remember you as being that, that, that person that will come in and help and provide that assistance through that. And I think in a number of ways we can do that nowadays with, with the video aspect of things, you know, you, there was through zoom or trying to find ways to make that personal connection and, and, and assisting above and beyond uh, what is called of you. And, and again, that is the challenge right now. That is, you know, banking in itself, you can see it's kind of been leading up that way, or actually I should even say our society in, in general has been leading up that way in terms right. of social distancing, but at the same time being connected through electronics. And I think, uh, COVID-19 accelerated that quite a bit. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of how we've been progressing too. So how are you as, as being humans that still enjoy that personal touch? How are you providing that? How are you going to be able to be that, that, that touch point where they remember you, uh, in a time of need? You know, it's, it's a very, uh, relevant point, Dustin, because sometimes people forget that although we use this phrase, social distancing, the reality is what we're really doing is physical distancing. My co-founder talked about this on our, you know, our our S3 meeting Mm -hmm. that I think you were part of. And and so we actually are still very social creatures. We want to have a social interaction. We just can't physically be uh, together in quite the same way that we've, we have been able to in the past. 
And I think recognizing, you know, this is a part that people forget, even in the banking space, banking was done by phone. You can still have a relationship with people over the phone or over Zoom, as the case might be. It doesn't absolutely require uh, them to walk in and be sitting there in front of you. So true. That leads me to a question on key performance indicators. Uh -huh. And I'm curious, uh, what are some of the key performance indicators that you've demonstrated since you've implemented virtual learning? Comerica Bank was brilliant. We were, we, they were implementing a Lego and even Canvas before COVID-19. We were actually prepared for this, which was, which was a very neat feeling because uh, we, we started Lego last year for the most part, and then we uh, moved into Canvas at the start of this year, which is more of our, for our formal learning. Mm -hmm. And um, we started building out our facilitation into um, a Lego videos that we then uh, linked into Canvas. And so we actually created the, the, the facilitation pieces that we had into videos. To your point, they wanted to, somebody wanted to create a video and do it one time as opposed to 50 times, so it was easier for me as a facilitator. So sure. we broke down our presentation in five or 10 minute bites and explaining different aspects and then peppered them through the Canvas uh, training. And then we, um, we were worried because we didn't know what it was going to be like. So we ran one successful pilot in February and then COVID hit in, in or at least the, the world hit the fan in February. So it was all in. So yeah. we, we were successful, but now it was all in. And um, we were concerned about things like, for instance, I remember being concerned about Regulation D. If you've never been in banking, Regulation D can be confusing. And that's really yeah. where it limits the withdrawals, certain withdrawals from your savings account. And I remember in the, on the live presentation, spending an hour just until everybody in the room got it. And I waited awkward pauses. I knew there were shy people that didn't want to raise their hand. And um, I was so concerned about not being face-to-face -face and be able to answer those questions at the time that we created um, a meeting at the end of the day where they're learning this online that we all called in to Skype and we connected or Zoom, I guess, at this time. And we connected and there wasn't one question about Regulation DD or Regulation D. Everybody got it. And what we found out was is how non-threatening it is to pause a video and rewind it. Pause the video and rewind it or watch the whole thing again. So if you didn't get it the first time around, you just keep going. And if you get me going and I'm a facilitator, man, good luck trying to stop me, right? And then if there's somebody who's shy, maybe they don't want to you know, yeah. raise their hand. So we found out our proficiency checks were going through the roof. And we, people were grasping concepts because they were learning at their own pace, maybe watching the video one time if they were sharp, or maybe 10 times if they required a little more work. So we saw an actual increase in retention of, of the, whatever we were presenting to them as opposed to being live. And it was a big surprise to us in terms of an, an added bonus, if you will, of you know, going into uh, the whole distance learning piece. So that leads me to um, just this question of, what do you know now that you wish you knew then regarding the best way to drive adoption of new technology yeah. in the bank environment? You know, it's, there's, it's almost like there's an inherent resistor to many people for change, right? especially when it comes to technology, because uh, like we talked about earlier, where I had, I had customers afraid of the debit card or people that were afraid once they got online banking, then all their money would be online. There was all this resistance to it. But then once we get comfortable, when there's enough time there, or once we see what's in it for me, then we know it's going to be a positive thing. I like to tease around. It's like when you're talking to customers, or in this case, my customer may be a banker or an agent or what have you, and I need to get buy-in for something, I need to tune in their favorite radio station. W-I-I-F-M, what's right. in it for me? 
Yes. And so if I were to go back, I mean, I'll just use a Lego for example. If I were to go back into the very beginning and tell them how, what's the best, what, this is how great it is for you, and then show them how great it is for them and really spend time investing in all the things that they want, the adoption would be a lot easier. And like we talked about this before where it's like my children eating vegetables, right? right. If I were to just say, if I were to, and this is funny, this is a true story. I showed my kids Popeye. Know what they want to do after they watch Popeye at three boys. Why do you eat spinach? Get that spinach, man. And yeah. I, I used to make smoothie shakes. I used to call, I'll call pond water because it was green. It tasted about like pond water. They wanted yeah. pond water shakes now because they knew spinach was in it. Wow. So I, it was what's in it for them. And you focus on that. So again, going back, it would be spending more time than you think is necessary in explaining why you're going to love this and show them this is why you love it. And so we're getting there now with, you know, we've learned our lesson as technology comes. Because again, there's going to be that inherent resistor. There is. And, and, you know, if it was up to us, probably some of us would still have rotary phones. Because it was just, we knew it was going to connect. And we yeah. know how it works. So. Yep. I, I love that piece, Dustin. I love the concept of just remembering to articulate what's in it for you. And answering the why question, it's so easy, particularly for people who are in the technology business, to jump into features yeah. and benefits of the technology yeah. and not recognize even pre-COVID the idea of saying, look, this is going to be a way for you to learn what you want to learn, when you want to learn it, and you right. don't have to get on the airplane, fly across the country to go to that training program. Exactly. You want to go to anyway. Yeah, right. right. It's so true. It's so true. So last question, uh, based on your experience, what's the most important skill that you think people should learn or improve today? Yeah, I think I've already said this several times, agility. Um, when things change, you have to be agile and you have to be ready for the change. If, if you don't adapt to change, you're just gonna get to the point where you can't, you can't catch up anymore. And, and when you have technology advancing as quickly as it is, we need to be agile. Uh, and, if, and if anything proves that, this COVID world we live in right now proves it. If you weren't agile, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get washed away. I mean, it's, it's moving so quickly. Uh, and like I said, we, we, ha we, we implemented a technology. Uh, we did one pilot and then boom, we, were, we had to be ready. And the great part we were, we became a, 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 a lead in it with our, within our corporation because we were the first to adapt and really ride with it uh, in terms of for, new, for onboarding and stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, agility, that's it, man. I gotta tell you, Dustin, I'm gonna leave you with this. Uh, and I'm gonna send this to you afterward. I'm gonna put this link yeah. in the show notes, but it's not just you who's saying it. But none other than McKinsey, one of the foremost consulting firms in the world, right. uh, they just published an article that I have right here, and it says, Agile, Agile, Agile. There's been a business mantra for years. Agile organizations are designed to be fast, resilient, and adaptable. Exactly the qualities needed to meet the operating and business model challenges unleashed by the COVID-19 crisis. Right. And then they go into the five trademarks of Agile organizations, and... Uh, one of them is really what you just described, and that relates to this mindset. And it's embracing it quickly, too. If you, if you resist it early when you have extra time, you're wasting your time. You need to embrace it quickly, and you need to move, like I said, having the mindset and, and, and really leading first as opposed to waiting to get pulled by somebody else. Dustin, if people want to uh, reach out to you after hearing about your story, yeah. is LinkedIn the best place to do it? Or, or... Yeah. yeah, have a message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the easiest way. I don't have a cool blog like you do, Mark, so I can't say, you know, it's in my blog. And All right. Well, then, then LinkedIn <laughs> it is for you. Justin, yep. uh, thanks so much. Really a pleasure yes, to sir. chat with you. And you uh, as well. we'll 
look forward to continuing the conversation. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.